Man, so many pictures to go through. Where do I even start? I guess this is as good a place as any. It's time for another episode of Moto Albums. Welcome to a Verb Moto Moto Album with your host, Brad Gebhardt. With me on the line today, an absolute motocross legend. He's been around for a long time. He's seen a lot of things. We're going to show him some pictures and see what he remembers. I got to think he's going to remember quite a bit. Goes by the name of Dr. D. I'm talking about Doug Dubach. Welcome to Moto Album. Oh, thanks, Brad. You know, it's uh, it's an honor to be here. And uh, I never shy away from telling old race stories. So, uh, yeah, it's an honor. Absolutely. This this program, this show idea is purpose-built for a guy like yourself. who's He's got a bit of a <laughs> photographic memory to begin with. But I always thought it would be a neat idea to be able to sort of flip through a photo album with your favorite racer or a legend like yourself and just pull out some of those old stories and just kind of talk about the gear or whatever particular year it was. And uh, you're a perfect candidate for that. So uh, thanks for making time for this. Yep. Yeah, no worries. I'm looking forward to it. Love it. Before we get to some pictures, uh, what's uh, Doug Dubach doing these days? What have you been busy with? Uh, I see not too long ago you were over in Europe with Team Guam. And uh, yeah, you've actually been making a bit of a habit of that lately, going over there for uh, for some vet destinations and stuff like that as well. Yeah, you know, uh, I guess these days, I guess we would talk about yeah, recent this last two and a half months, I have spent uh, in various countries in Europe, and it all kind of started out in France, uh, riding a race that I've done many, many times. It's a kind of a, a celebration of a guy. Um, uh, Moreau, who, if you ever watch oh, any Brian of the old Paris, yeah. yeah. So, you know, he was always the guy that supplied the Hondas to all the Honda guys. And so he died of cancer and his wife puts on this memorial race each year and a handful of us go and, you know, for, and guys from all over, you know, your uh, older European guys that show up and uh, it's always a good time. So, uh, the kind of icing on the cake for that event is I get to ride a YZM 500 which is something that I missed out on in its heyday. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, I'm already going to wander off and <laughs> down some random road, but That's what I had for, the opportunity man. in 1988, uh, just through a common friend with well, Jim Castillo. I think we had talked before the show a little bit about Jim. He's a good friend of mine and he knew uh, Jackie Vermont very well. Okay. So I was at a international race in France that I just got invited to and, I knew Jackie barely, and, you know, so just Jim went. And that day, Jackie's mechanic, a guy named Michelle, says, hey, do you want to ride this thing? Because, you know, I was, like, staring at it, like, ooh, ah. Oh. And uh, <clears throat> I'm like, ah, it's okay. You know, I'll, I'll ride it because I was already, you know, knee-deep in Yamaha testing, you know. So I was already traveling to Japan and just, you know, figure, I'll, I'll ride it. You know, I, I don't want to look like some anxious guy that's going to – you know, jump on your bike and loop it out in the grass field. So um pass that over. And then we never got it because it was a factory bike. Yeah. It was never really, it didn't spend much time in Japan. And that whole program was so short lived mm. that that bike just came and went. So yeah, it was just a missed opportunity. And so God, it must've been eight or nine years ago. It was the first time I went to uh, Marianne's race in France and got to ride that thing. And uh yeah, it was funny. My then, uh, I don't know, 11, 12 year old kid. I told him, I said, I'm going to start this for you. You get on it and you ride it down there and back. And he's like, no, no. 
you know, he was really afraid. And I said, just do it. And so he got on it. He wrote it up and back. And I took a video and I said, you're probably one of 10 people that's ever written one of these oh, in the man. world, you know? So it was uh, a funny little video I made of him doing that. But uh, so, yeah, it was some, you know, what would, would that have been <laughs> almost 40 years later? I finally got to ride one. No kidding, man. And uh, your son actually uh, made his pro debut this last year. Did he not? He actually raced some outdoor nationals. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's, uh, affectionately we call him the part-timer because he's kind of got his hands in everything. You know, he's a full-time college student. He's, uh, you know, instrument rated, commercial rated pilot. Amazing. So that's a great occupation. Yeah. He's, uh, uh, without getting down a whole nether road going the other way, he's actually currently in, uh, India delivering an airplane. So, not not a lot of people ferry planes that far, especially a single engine Cessna from California to India. But uh, his friend ferries planes, and he did almost this exact same trip about two months ago. But right after the Colorado National, he went and did one, and then now they've uh, they've just are almost finished doing another one. Wow! So yeah, he's that's really he's, neat. He juggles a lot of different items in his life. Fair enough. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a little bit more industrious than your average uh, motocross privateer, but uh, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> exactly. pretty cool. Yeah, and like, hey, like, uh, as far as like on like on a, the attracting women side of things, like I'm a pilot, I race professional motocross. Like, <laughs> I like that's yeah, a, every meme you see. It's uh, yeah, it's something about a pilot bragging that he's a pilot so yeah yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Funny to like, say that there you go how do you know you're at a, a party with a pilot he tells you exactly <laughs> exactly so but anyway so kind of back to him having his motocross debut yeah he just came to me and you know he's just always a part-time racer you know we did it all we went to mammoth we went to loretta's we you know we did all the junk you know not consistently year after year but you know just whatever i never push bikes on him he likes them but he knew it was never going to be like his thing Hmm. And so he comes to me, I don't know, probably about February or March. He's like, Dad, I think I'm going to be pretty consumed almost every summer after this summer. So I'd like to ride an AMA National. And I'm like, okay. So that's kind of what started it. Got some bikes together and off we went. I told him he did better than me. I didn't even qualify my first National. I crashed out at Hangtown and was stuck in one of those lovely orange fences. And I watched the LCQ from still being stuck in the mud under one of those orange fences. So at least he qualified his first time out. No kidding. Your first national 1982 Carlsbad. I guess that's in, that's in your backyard, man. Yeah. Well, see, I went to Hangtown mm-hmm. and, uh, I guess that's the first qualify. time you scored points. So, <laughs> well, no, they... I didn't qualify at Hangtown. And then right. I went, well, Carlsbad's got a whole nother funny story. So I took my buddy <clears throat> who, yeah. You know, he he was a bit thirsty early in the day. And so by the time the racing came around, he was asleep in my truck. So <clears throat> I'm out there racing. That's when it was 45 minutes. I'm out there racing around <clears throat> and I'm thinking I'm doing it, whatever. You know, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just jazzed to be doing it. And uh, white flag lap. And I hear a bike and I'm like, I look back, it's Jeff Ward. And I'm like, oh, I got to get out of this guy's way. He must be leading. And then I walk over, you know, 15 minutes later and look at the scoreboard and you know, he finished right in front of me. I got, cause what did I get? A ninth or a tenth? What does Let's it say check in the, the moto? motos. Uh, it doesn't show moto scores. It shows you <laughs> in that particular race, it says you're 22nd overall, but you must have had a, yeah, a, so a I second went, moto. Wasn't I think that good. I went, 
I think I went 10 DNF. Okay. So, yeah. yeah so that Morty makes sense. got ninth the first moto, and I got 10th the first moto. So that was, yeah. Never Morty again. was 14th. That was my lesson. What's that? Yeah. Rody, Wardy was 14th. So that would make sense if he had a, if he was right in front of you and then, huh? Maybe he was, yeah, maybe had another bad moto, second moto. But <clears throat> so that was my introduction to, uh, riding with no information on a pit board. <laughs> never go. let anybody buy. That's the, that's the takeaway. Don't ever let anyone buy. In a national Especially one on by Mark Barnett, Jim Gibson <laughs> and George Holland was your podium on that particular day at, at 1982, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Yep, yep. I Some love fast, it. So fast dudes there. Heck yeah! No, honestly, like maybe it's just because, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit as well. Uh, and one of the things that I love about the older eras is that in today's day and age, uh, there are like in any one particular weekend, there's a hundred photos and maybe an hour's worth of like collectively hours worth of video of like say Jet Lawrence or. Eli Tomac or everything, anyone quite like that. Um, but all of it's so disposable. None of it holds the same amount of like, because back in the day, like there was only one or two magazines every single weekend or every single month. Um, mm-hmm. So over the course of a year, if you had two really good magazines over the course of a year, you'd have 24 magazines full of photos to look at. Yeah. That is like that. That's probably uploaded about motocross. It's probably uploaded every hour. On motor, like, like, uh, seriously, same amount of content. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's just, it becomes like, because it's, there's so much of it, so abundant, we don't hold on to it the way we used to. I agree. I agree. I mean, I mean, you probably did the same. I I don't know how old you are, but I could, I could tell you every word in every, you know, pick whatever publication it was, motocross accent or dirt bike or, you know, then some others came along and, you know, I mean, Cycle news, you know, we used to rush down to the local newspaper. I still oh, have my Roost magazine from 1999, July uh, issue. Uh, that nice. like, and I've gone through that a, a, a hundred times. And I like honestly, <laughs> I, I look at the uh, probably more than a hundred times. Honestly, uh, I look at the the results page from this week from this particular race. Like, just going down. This is just the 125 class. Keeping in mind, there was two other classes that were racing that particular day. Mark, Mark Barnett, Jim Gibson, uh, like Johnny O'Mara, uh, George Holland. That's, that's three champions right in the same, in, uh, uh, Ron Turner, um, Gary Bowman. Like you had a different Mike Brown. You have, Gar- uh, you have Jeff Ward. Like this is if yourself. Like they're, they're, this is like a murderer's row on one twenty fives, and like it, it's it's not only the fact that it was stocked full of talent, but because there was only so much content that could be put out there, like it made it made heroes of these people. You know what I yeah. mean? Like um, like like absolutely. like friends of mine somehow yeah. find Brian old, yeah Brian Myerscoff. Another, I mean that guy if he didn't get sick that guy would have been a many many time champ but um so i don't know some friends of mine will find these old results from cycle news or somewhere i don't know maybe they float around facebook i'm really not much of a facebook guy but yeah and yeah just like you say the lift it's just insane all the way down you know you're looking at guys that eventually became national champs that were 12th in a local intermediate race which you know obviously it all happens in that order but yeah you know it's just you go, wow, because the SoCal scene, which I know was a big 
you know, kind of boiling pot of, of talent was, it was insane. And yeah, I remember a story like in the old Golden States, if people remember that, you know, you got to be pretty old to remember Golden State, but you had to ride qualifiers just to get into the 40 man gate. Yeah. And it was, it was serious. It'd be 90, 125 pros at a Golden State show up at Saddleback or Huron or Lake Madeira, you know, Hangtown, whatever. And it was absolutely gnarly. Yeah, no, that, and that, honestly, and what, what, uh, the result of that is that if you were able to be successful at those races, you were the cream of the crop. Like when 90 guys who consider themselves a pro show up and you're at the top of that heap, um, like you're, you're an absolute world beater. And then when the, yeah, yeah, when you take on the rest of the world, it shows. So, um, We're going to go through some photos. Like I said, off air, we could probably do 50 of these. Um, and, and honestly, <laughs> yeah. you're like, yeah, we, we could just do, we could do ones just on test bikes you've worked on. Uh, we could just do one just on Yamahas that you've worked on. Uh, we, we, like, I go on for days, but let's crack this thing wide open. Uh, I'm going to share my screen here. Uh, hold on a little buffering. Yep. Yep. They, there it is. Okay. Perfect. We'll leave it like that. Uh, and people can okay. kind of see where we're going with this. So. Like at first you'd think that like wow that's a that's a good looking guy in a uh a, a, in a wee big camel smoker cross hat, but it's not. <laughs> that's that's a that's a, that's a young Doug Dubach. That's, that's the with, real deal there. That's a camel supercross. That's a camel supercross. I should have hung on to that hat. You should have honestly. Yeah, that thing be. <laughs> I actually I have some camel supercross banners, like the original. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I'm yet to put them in my, my, uh, my man cave, but, uh, like the, everything's on point, like, like a, a toothy grin. You've got the hockey hair. I like that. That is, that's a great, yeah, that's, still, that's, still that's a great head. Day, I denied that I ever had a mullet, but stuff like this surfaces and then yeah. it's hard to fight that fight. Yeah. Like, this is, this is damning evidence that you in fact <laughs> did have a mullet of sorts. That's more like, I feel like that's more just a shag. And or like yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's the story I'm sticking with. So yeah, All let's right. go with that. All right, perfect, perfect. And then uh like I, I do love the O'Neill iron on on top of O'Neill gear. Um I guess they wanted to let you know everyone know that they were a sponsor of yours on top of the fact that you're wearing the jersey. Uh that <laughs> yeah, jersey well, looks to be pretty heavy. Uh but uh, yeah, well, yeah it, it was good looking cat here. Cotton. Yep. I'm sure you remember seeing the photos of all of our you know, arts and crafts where we would get the sharp scissors out and oh, cut yeah. holes in them. Cause it was like wearing jerseys. a sweater. Yeah. You'd be at Southwick in the summertime and it's like putting on a sweater to go out for your moto. Yeah. So yeah, those were, that was a bit rough. And then Jim Castillo, love him to death. Uh, Jim Castillo, <laughs> Jim O'Neill, um, love him to death. But yeah, he would, he would <laughs> remember the conversation. Doesn't your wife have, Good laundry soap. Cause I'd ask for more jerseys and you know, you take like, you go to Redbud, yeah. you ride in a thousand degrees, you're sweating like crazy. You get roosted. Even if you let every lap, you're going to get roosted by lappers and all that, that red 100%. clay, Axton, Virginia, all those red clay races, stuff it in your bag, you know, overnight, fly home, all that. Don't wash it for 24 hours. I don't care how good your laundry detergent is. You're not getting that thing white again. No. And he, yeah, so he would always, I'm like, Jim, you come home from riding and hand it right to your wife. I live in a little bit different environment than than your local track that's 20 minutes down the street. 
No kidding. Yeah, no, that that would be over the top. And then now, if you think about it, uh, when they show like when when Kenny Day from Fox shows up to a race, he's got usually usually it's four sets of pants and no three sets of pants and two jerseys or four jerseys for any one rider. So they usually have one extra jersey than they have pants, and they're all done up. It's all one off stuff. Um, and yeah, they're. They they do collect a lot of that stuff because a lot of it gets like if if Kenny gives away anything it's to like uh, road to recovery and stuff like that. Um, yep. But yeah, nowadays like I think they put out in a, in a magazine one year uh, of the 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 amounts of everything that guys got and James Stewart went through <laughs> over two hundred pairs of goggles. Oh yeah, I, that year. surprised me. Yeah, and you and you're you're probably you're going to the line this this year and just like knocking the uh the the dust out of your your goggles maybe a few tear offs uh, attached to that what uh, year is this by the way be, so that is oh Bevo would have had you set yeah yeah that's what I was just gonna chime in Bevo always hooked me up so I was always good for goggles uh, right. <clears throat> just looking at that jersey and that hat I'd say that's around 1990 right. that's yeah uh, I would say 1990 I was probably number seven that year. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, that's not not bad. And I think, and here goes, you know, I can't even remember what I had for lunch, but I will tell you, that <laughs> year we went over to Catalina Island to have okay. the, you know, Supercross, Camel Supercross party. Mm-hmm. And uh, about half of us were ready to vomit our brains out because the boat ride over was so choppy and rough. Oh, and those my. that didn't get sick on the boat ride, ended up getting tendonitis from playing volleyball for four hours. So fair enough. Yeah. Good times. Good times. Was, uh, was, was Jim Holly on that uh, particular trip? So if he was, we probably wouldn't have seen him because he tends to find his way astray. Okay. We'll just say, yeah. uh, so yeah, he probably was around. Because yeah, I don't know, that might have been a little late for Jimmy. I think maybe eighty eight, eighty nine. So if it was ninety or ninety one, he's probably at home chasing somebody around. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So this <clears throat> is. Go ahead. You you brought it up, and I've told the story quite a few times. But uh, <clears throat> on the Jim Holly vein, my very first Supercross podium was eighty eight LA Coliseum. And uh, got third, super stoked. Brock's last win, uh, Lachine was second. And <clears throat> so I'm, you know, happy as could be. And I mean, I wasn't on the, you know, how long does the podium thing take? 10 extra minutes? 15 minutes. By the, time I get, by the time I get back to my van, <clears throat> my van's locked. And so I'm asking my mechanic, hey, do you, lock, do you have the keys? He goes, no, I think the keys are inside. I don't know. So... Long story short, Jimmy managed to lift up the chain link fence, the temporary chain link fence, and he was occupying my van when I got back from the podium because apparently he wanted to keep it a secret from his father because Al would have kicked his ass. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Well, so So, him and and a a lovely uh, young lady. Let's just say a spectator. Okay. Okay, Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, We're, uh, yeah, um, like uh, exchanging. Occupying my van. Occupying, occupying. Race stories. I'm sure she, you know, she had something to do with racing. So I'm sure they were just talking. Perhaps a, a potential sponsor. <clears throat> there you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. He's probably, he's thinking that <laughs> lifelong uh, uh, O'Neill deal in there. That's what he was doing. Um, <laughs> there you go. 
Okay, so let's go straight into where I know you from. And one of these photos is not Canadian. I think the other one is. But uh, first of all, near and dear to my heart, White Brothers. Uh, like they're a sponsor of the podcast on Big MX Radio. Uh, mm-hmm. John Anderson. Um, like veering off on my own here, I actually got an opportunity to go through the early years of Motocross uh, Museum with Tom White um about a year before he passed unfortunately i uh, love that guy nice. Um, nice yeah he was he was one of a kind tom was he he seriously was doug like i'm yeah. i'm just brad from canada i'm i'm a kid with a dream about doing this and doing it full time and i've been able to do that but this was 2017 like i barely gotten onto the scene and uh he put a mountain bike ride on hold to go through that thing with me, like he walked me through every single one of those bikes for two and a half hours. And it like, and they it, all it, had a story. They all did. Yeah. And uh, they yeah, they all had a story where they came from, what he did with them and right. who the guy was and how it came about. Yeah, I, I loved it. I, I would hang out in there for <laughs> just as long as he'd let me. It was, yeah. So actually that, that photo on the left, me, number one, Tom is barely out of frame there. He is interviewing okay. me. Yeah, that that was one of the uh, that four stroke four stroke nationals. That was a four stroke national at Glen Helen, and yeah, Tom is just just out of sight there. The, a blow up poster that O'Neill had in their showroom forever got handed down, and my mom had that picture in her house for a very long time. And yes, of course, the the Canadian one eighteen. How could you? How could you miss that? Is that Dubai behind me? I can't. Uh, tell. I think that's actually Canadian national or American national. Yeah. That's one fifteen, and that's Robbie Raynard behind you. Oh, that's Raynard seventeen. Yeah. Oh, so that is one fifteen. Okay, so I was one eighteen in the, in, in Canada. Canada. Yeah, I, I was had a hard trying time to get one fifteen. Yeah, I had a hard <clears> time getting a Canadian uh, a Canadian photo, but uh, this will have to do. Tell me a little yeah. bit about this year, a little bit about this bike. So <clears throat> that. Uh, I believe that was the 426. It was. <clears throat> um, so that was actually the last year I ever rode a national. I went, <clears throat> I decided that, you know, whatever, life's changing, you know, I had kids and just the, the way life progresses. So I wanted to go and ride two nationals. I wanted to ride two of my favorite tracks and I wanted to ride, you know, the lights class or whatever. And then the big class, I wanted to ride, you know, one event in each class. So I went to Washougal and rode a 250F in 01. Which was won by uh, uh, Larry Ward. Uh, he won one moto. I don't know if he won the overall. I think I, I Langston, think he at least, yeah. Yeah, I think he won a moto, but I think okay. he, it was either Langston, because I think Pastrana won one moto, and I think Larry Ward won the other moto, but okay, might have been Langston or gosh, yeah, I don't in, remember. The, but I just it was uh, 2001 because I was on a 250F. Yeah, that's right. And so <clears throat> the uh, you know backstory there is I'm like, oh, I'm trying to get a bike, and I didn't have one. And so Spud Walters got one of his friends to loan me one. And so, you know, I went up there with – and I just started DRD. So I went up there with our airbox we made and a slip-on pipe and, you know, the right jetting and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, I ended up going – I go like seven twelve for tenth overall, and that was my target was to be, get inside the top ten. And, That's not bad and mixing it up story, with the kids, man. 
Yeah, I was 38 at that time. So, yeah, I was definitely <laughs> nearly twice their age. But <clears throat> um, the, the best part of the day, it, Ross Maeda, who's done my suspension forever, and, you know, he was doing the Yamaha of Troy. So it was uh, Ernesto and Ramsey. Well, first moto, I beat both of those guys. I, one of them, I might have been Ernesto. I caught him and passed him in like the last two or three laps oh, no. to get that seventh. And so Ross grinded those guys for, I swear it was the next six months. Like, Hey, you know, you guys got a little while to go, but if you ever get old enough to ride a vet race, you might make the podium. <laughs> oh indicating God, that I would still kick their yeah, ass. Yeah, he still kicked their ass. Jesus. But <clears throat> it, that was a great day for me, obviously. Just, uh, you know, kind of not off the couch because, you know, I was still riding all the time. And so, but I hadn't ridden a national in a few years. So it was neat to just kind of show up and, you know, put it together and, and get a top 10 finish. So then Millville, which is a couple weeks later, right. again, I'd uh, borrowed a bike from a local shop, <clears throat> just took suspension and a pipe and wanted to get 10th overall again. And I got 11th overall. 11th so overall. Supported because <clears throat> I think I got like 10th, the first moto and I'm okay. Okay. And yeah, just get a little squeezed on the start and just, just couldn't get it done. I think, yeah, so I, I think it was ten, twelve, or something for eleventh overall. Mm, that's super <laughs> neat. Supported. But uh, and then the you know the the uh, takeaway from that day, Ricky Carmichael lapped me in the exact same corner, the exact same lap, both motos. So between the two of us, we were pretty consistent. Hey, consistency wins championships, and he certainly <clears> did they, that year. There you go. He did. I didn't. But yeah, it was the turn before the finish, getting the white flag. Yeah. He let me first moto. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Second moto, I hear a bike coming. I come around that corner. I see the white flag, <laughs> and Carmichael goes by me again. I'm like, wow, that's uh, I should have put that down on a four square and bet on it because that <laughs> would have never happened. No kidding. Like uh, Millville is actually one of the racetracks where, like, one of the things that I, I miss about the uh, uh, the 2000s moto and also the 90s uh, tracks where the finish line wasn't a jump. Yeah. Like, it was, it wasn't yeah. a jump. Like, it was just basically, it was like a, essentially, it was almost like a roller that was like out, right out of a corner, or sometimes it was just straight up a straightaway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so many tracks used to be, but I guess TV yeah. comes along because, you know, Troy, Ohio was just a, out of a corner. Steel City. You know, Steel City. Yep. Just around that corner. And even Hangtown, many, many different times, it wasn't yeah. a jump. It was just kind of, you know, you went around a corner and there was the checkered flag. But yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> I guess the evolution, <laughs> something I don't know. It uh, got to have a jump for TV, I guess. Yeah, I guess I, I I always used to love when you'd see a guy like, obviously the wide open straightaway and he knows he's gonna win, so he's just like fist pumping the shit out of it when he's coming across the finish line. I always thought that was yeah. pretty cool. And yeah. and the the finish line flagger would jump. Yeah, yeah. They would jump and they would like wave the flag in the air, and I thought that was hilarious. You see some old pictures where I think honestly the the Brian Deegan the the bike uh, when he when he ghost rides the bike, yeah, the uh, he's jumping off and the the flagger's doing so as well. What do you remember about breaking the Canadians' hearts this particular year? Because I don't know that you (laughs) lost more than a couple of motos all year long, like. So that was just the the whole thing was, you know, almost storybook because Dave Gallon, who I just ran into, I hadn't seen him in years. Okay. I went to uh, Silverstone MotoGP in the UK when I was over there just a few months back. 
and I'm sitting in the Yamaha, you know, hospitality that's MotoGP, F1, those guys do, <laughs> they got deep pockets because those places are like a little city inside. But, oh, yeah. and who, who comes walking in is Dave Gowan. And I'm like, yeah. no way. But anyway, he calls me and hey, you know, presents the whole thing to me. And I'm like, yep, no, Dave, I just, I don't have time. Uh, nope, nope. A week or so goes by, calls me again. Hey, you know, come on. Well, yeah, I don't know. he had some other thing. Oh, Yamaha will double the contingency. He had some other offer. And I'm like, nah, Dave, I just, no, no, no. And then I can't even remember what he offered me the third time, but I'm like, okay, just so you'll stop calling me, I'll come up there and race. And it was literally like three weeks before the first round. So it was, and then the whole thing rolled in my very first rental car. I walk out to the slot it's parked in and it was in number 118. And I'm like, all right, I like that. That's a good sign. Yep. Things are rolling. And then I didn't win the first moto because my buddy Ryan Huffman decided that uh, he was going to be, I don't know, more aggressive than I guess I was expecting. You know, I passed him for the lead and, uh, you know, he just came back aggressive. I ended up going down. I think we barely touched, but it was just, I passed him really clean. So I thought, okay, that's good. And I kind of went back to the racing line. And then anyways, so yeah, I think I got maybe third or fourth. Because it was only on like the second or third lap, so I was 40th by the time I got up. But uh, then after that, I went on quite a long little run. I think I won like nine motos straight, which was, I mean, and it's not like I going away. I just I think after a few, I think I really got in their heads because oh, yeah. you know whoever it was, Dubai or you know Blair Morgan Lynch, or Morgan. you know Darcy Lang or you know just all these guys who just oh yes guys like almost 40 years old you know and and I was just tenacious you know I mean that's how I had success all through my career and I was fit because I, I was a test rider that rode more laps than probably all of them put together each oh, week sure. you know so so I was you know I maybe didn't lead you know every lap but I, <laughs> I led the last lap a lot of times and yeah that was uh it was just great, you know, riding a new track. You know, I'd never seen any of these tracks before. So that was a challenge for me, even though, you know, after a while, everyone's just like, oh, you know, you're cheating or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you of shouldn't be up here kind of thing. You know, kind of like they treat you when you go to Loretta's. You're an old pro. You shouldn't be here. Kind of. Yeah. That was almost how I felt. But everyone was super nice. I mean, I got along yeah. with everyone. I remember one, I think it was at Barry or something. Uh, Dubay led for the longest time, and I think he thought he was going to win. And I passed him like two laps to go and beat him, and he he was crushed. And he came over, and I think he was having a little arm pump trouble. But we sat down. We had a nice little, uh, you know, man talk for probably 30, 40 minutes just on the bumper no of his truck. Yeah. And it's so funny. I didn't even realize Andy White was his mechanic at that time, FXR Andy. That's right. It's just, you know, the things you learn later in life. I'm like, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's why you look familiar to me. That's hilarious. Yeah, I see you guys Andy are all kids. the time now. Right. But and, you know, it was just really cool. You know, Josh Woods from Michigan was in there. And, you know, there's just, just a handful of guys. You know, Treadwell came down and wrote a handful. Uh, JSR showed up at three or four of them just, you know, because he was riding the AMA stuff. And uh, Right. Was Hamlin and, uh, 2001? Was 2001. No, yeah. 2000. Sorry. Hamlin also, yeah. Uh, what do yeah, you remember never, about? Go ahead. I was just saying, I never went back to defend because 
the whole Yamaha Dave Gallon thing kind of fell apart. But yeah, two thousands when I raced in Canada. Huh. Um, was that the year? Like, uh, I, I can never remember which year it is that um, uh, Sean Sean Hamlin went up and raced uh, on uh, Blackfoot on a on a one twenty five. Yeah, it was the year he won. He won the one twenty five Wests. Yeah, West. Okay, so yeah. he won, but he then he never Lange. rode the big bike. It was kind of weird. A reminder no. rode one round and didn't do well, and so he never. Because those poor guys, I felt bad for like uh, Darcy and uh, Josh Woods and those guys. They'd be riding freaking four motos in a day. Yeah, they'd ride double class it. Yeah, and then but it's so funny because they almost were not as good when it got to only the big bike. Because I think Darcy struggled, you know, it's like he was so occupied and just race, race, race. He was almost warmed up better. I don't know. He seemed stronger when he was riding both classes. When he was just on the, you know, the big bike only, he seemed to struggle. So I don't know. It was was kind of a weird. I expected those guys to be really tough in the second half when they didn't have to ride a 125 as well. But. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, but uh, yeah, that's Hamlin won the yeah on that Blackfoot Honda, and then uh, <clears throat> Jason Thomas because when Blair uh, broke a bone in his hand right. in Calgary, they brought Jason Thomas up, and I thought, oh, you know, here we go because I knew he was good down in Florida, and I just barely known his name, but uh, yeah, I think he struggled a little bit, just you know, new tracks and new team and, you know, all He's the, a 19 year old kid, pretty far from home. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then me, I'm like, I've been around the world a hundred times. It's just another racetrack for me. No kidding. Like, do you, do what do you, do you remember anything about Grunthal? Like that, that racetrack at all? Yeah. What do you remember? Yeah. So Grunthal, it was wet that, because JSR rode it, that day, right? Yeah. It rained that morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, Lamastus on his 9,000 cc. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Or Vor or whatever that thing was. Yeah. He's no, on I Hoosberg. remember that day very well. Cause so, you know, everyone, I think JSR, that might have been the first one he showed up at. But anyway, I just remember the track was pretty rutted mm-hmm. and, uh, they had to cut that little pond section out of the back because it was just, I liked it because I had it figured out. I remember they cut it out for the motos. I was kind of bummed, but I just remember it got a good start. And then Lamastus, because there were some long straightaways, he would go by me like 10 miles an hour faster down these long straightaways. I'm like, holy cow. I never thought like horsepower of a bike was going to make any difference on a motocross track, but he missed the good line and I'd pass him back. And then you know, we kind of went at it, but that that battle pushed us away from JSR. So by the time Lamastus sort of, you know, expired just physically, mm-hmm. I had a pretty good lead and then I just protected to the end. And then second moto, kind of same thing, but I think Lamastus maybe went off the track or something and JSR was fairly close. And I remember, I just want to beat him. You know, this is who everyone tells me would kick my ass if he was riding, you know, yeah. you just wait kind of thing. And I mean, we went around there for 30 minutes plus two laps about you know, 20 bike lengths apart and I beat him to the finish. And that was, that was quite a, a good day for me just cause you know, he was probably 10 years younger than I was and riding all the AMA nationals, you know? So, I mean, he, by all rights should have beat me, but I, I'm just stubborn enough that I wasn't going to let it happen. Hey, uh, sometimes stubbornness, uh, can be, uh, can be a, a strength, my friend. 
Uh, yeah, actually, that race is, I think it's on YouTube. Um, I don't have it on oh, this. I uh, find it. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll send you the link. Uh, yeah, send me the link. I'd like to watch Lamassus go flying by me and then miss oh, yeah. the turn and be out in the infield and then do it again. <laughs> actually, like watching that race was uh, a reason why I ended up having him on not this show, but uh, on my the Big MX Radio podcast about a year ago. And uh, yeah, he's I don't know if he's still riding a little bit, but uh, yeah, he came up and raced. There's the, yeah, the, the battle of the four strokes. You guys always got good starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was and that was another component. You know, I mean, they'd been out for three years. You mm-hmm. know, Doug Henry was winning races. He'd already yeah. won a championship in 98, you know, just, and not a single soul raced one in Canada. I, every once in a while on a Saturday, you know, they get big entries. So, yeah. you know, on the Saturday qualifiers, there'd be some guy. Kim Hood raced it one this year. Yeah. What's that? Kim Hood. There's a, a Kim Hood. He's like a local vet guy that came, was around for, he's actually the 1979 125 Canadian national champion. Uh, oh, okay. he raced a four stroke this, this particular year, but I, I don't know if he raced the national. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I just remember there was just random guys here or there. I would see him on a four stroke. It would stand out obviously because yeah. I was the only other guy. Yep. And so, yeah, I would just notice him here or there, but nobody, you know, with any real, you know, chance to win was on one, but, oh. uh, yeah, it was interesting. Any, uh, any bike issues with these things over that particular year or like worry about parts or nothing? nothing and that's the funny thing dave gallon was freaking out because you know um whoever hagseth and uh yep. jay whipple were on yg250s and they're putting pistons and clutches and everything all we would do on my bike is just put an air filter in it and dave's like don't we got to put a piston in it don't you need a clutch don't you <laughs> and i'm like no these things are just you know Practice. if you ride them properly you don't chew stuff up and I, we rode all nine rounds same piston, same clutch. <laughs> I think we might have put two tires on, you know, on like certain tracks. And I don't know, it's too grippy here. I don't want a new tire, you know, leave my old one on there. And I was just, you know, uh-huh. a, kind of an overzealous test rider. I was very picky about things. So I would do stupid stuff like that. <laughs> leave an old tire on because yeah. I would find some advantage to do so. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, you definitely demoralize the Canadians. Uh, and like I said, I, I knew, I, I knew not to pick a lot of photos for this thing. Cause I, I, I knew we could probably just, uh, like <laughs> go on for days, go on for days without any photos. I like the fact uh, that this, I'm going straight to 1989 here. Uh, yep. all three bikes have different fonts on the numbers. I don't know why. Uh, but, and that, well, that's going to bug me now. Um, well, no, no, I've got a good answer for okay, you. Okay. Perfect. You know I do. <laughs> so the, the photo on the right is from Supercross. Okay. And Keith Bowen, his mechanic, who's funny, Ron Heben, nicknamed Slicer. Yeah. So well, it's just I had Alan Olson, who was my mechanic in Canada that year. Okay. So Alan, uh, 79 years old, still plays golf three, four times a week. Well, today he was playing with Slicer. Of so I know small world, but uh, so I took Alan, I take Alan to lunch about twice a month just to pay him back for all he's done for me over the years. But so. Um, at that time, Keith Bowen had that big font number nine on his bike. You remember that? That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> so my mechanic at that time, Steve Butler, who is now head of testing at Yamaha. And I remind him often that I got him his job there, but of course, uh, as you should. So <clears throat> he, uh, he cut out some pretty slick looking numbers there. And we're like, yeah, those are sweet. And the freaking AMA told us we couldn't run them. So you, couldn't, like, you, you weren't allowed to run this number 16. 
Yeah, the one on the on the right as I'm looking at it. Oh, that's so a the, the, sweet look. Yeah, so the one on the left was the very first photos on that bike, and I I can't I, I don't know if those were hundred percent or not, but um, so those were just photo day early, probably one right. of the first times I, I was can on tell that. that because that's the same fo- that's the same helmet as the one in the middle, and there's no mm-hmm. stickers across the visor. Yep, yep. So okay. that, <clears throat> and so that was. Yeah, photo shoot day for our little poster. That's where that one came from, the one on the left. And then we went to those slick ones in Supercross, and then they shot us down. So then we ended up going back to like 100%, you know, back when they were a sticker number company and not a goggle company. But Mm. so that's why that's why you've got all these different looks. And I like that. I remember a whole shot at L.A. Coliseum. There's such a cool photo of me coming towards, you know, the camera. And that just stands out. All of us are kind of somewhere in the air and somewhere on the ground, but it just stands out that big, big number 16. And then, yeah, no, you can't run that. Oh, yeah. They, uh, they asked that. Um, yeah, they pulled yeah. out some rule and said, oh, it has to be, can't be any taller than this. And it's got to be, you know, it's got to be this far from the top of the front fender, all this stupid stuff. And I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Well, I know for the longest time they still had the AMA rule that the front number plate had to be flat. And that was why Carmichael ran that flat, big square number plate on his Honda for the longest time, even though that's not what came on stock. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's some strange rules. Well, my trip to Carlsbad in 82, uh-huh. I drive all the way down there. It's like an hour from my house. Go to Tech, and they're te- they tell me you're the bottom of your number – it's too high from the top of your fender. Because remember how for a while they were running them almost wrapping around the crossbar and you couldn't right. read them? Yeah. So they made some rule, and mine was not even – it was just, you know, whatever I had bought at the local cycle store and put numbers on it. And they're like, right. nope, I had to drive all the way back home. Oh. And I think I stopped at another store, and then I had the goofiest just stick on numbers. I had kind of a cool one. And yeah. then I had to put all this goofy stuff to meet their rules. So yeah, I don't know. it's it's always something. <laughs> Never change AMA. Um, the the picture on the far left here. No no <laughs> over the jersey chest protector. Is that just for photo day or were yeah, you? Yeah, that was just. I think I was uh, out it just almost in the parking lot. Or oh no, that one. We were just out in the hills. I was going to yeah, say, this is, this is just a hills ride here for sure. Yeah, that's just, we just made a little berm and just, yeah, I don't even think we rode a track that day. And th- this must have been the first bike. year for right side up uh, forks on this bike, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes, because 88 had conventional, 89 had the upside down fork, yeah. How was that? It was good, you know, I was involved in that whole process because I started in, kind of early 86 with Yamaha testing. And I remember and it wasn't too long after that, that we started playing with the upside down fork. Cause I know, gosh, who wrote it? Somebody wrote it in Japan in the off season, Tokyo supercross. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I stayed on the conventional fork, but uh, that was Brock, Mickey diamond. Somebody rode the upside down in that race. That was one of the first times anyone had ridden it, but mm-hmm. It's a little harsher, you know. It took a while to get the bushings right and all the tolerance to get comfort back into it, but it definitely was a whole lot better stability steering. You know, turn in any kind of rutted corner, it was just light years better. So, okay. yeah, we just kind of put up with the discomfort, the harshness, 
especially first touch jump landing. I remember that was something that was hard to get over because the old fork, when it flexed, it wasn't flexing in the point of contact where the bushings, you know, top and bottom bushings would be affected. That thing, when it flexed, it flexed right at the bushing. So you're trying to, you know, suck a crooked spaghetti noodle up a straw. And it was, yeah, oh my. it took a while to get all those rigidities and bushing tolerance and uh, just yeah, get it all right. And then, you know, back then is when the factory stuff was so much better because it, you could build it with higher quality material and tighter tolerances and all that. So, you know, nowadays production stuff is so good. You know, just some of the coatings and things. And again, some of the, you know, tolerance and whatnot still better. But yeah, the production fork of these days are so much better than the difference from standard to works back then. Certainly. And even at this point, there was still a little bit of uh, back and forth with some people who even thought that the, the convention conventional fork was still a better solution. In fact, Suzuki went back to that in 1995. Well, Larry Ford, Larry Ford, Larry Ford Larry. loved that thing. Oh yeah, he would. I think he slept with a set of those things at night in bed with him. <laughs> yeah, he loved those. And, and you know, it's it's just part of the the growth of the bike and the you know just bringing it. You know, because not every new thing is better. You know, no, it's it's like, true. and you know, there was certainly some benefits to the conventional fork, comfort being one of them. And I think Larry just didn't care that much about the stability and the sharpness and, you know, the precision of the steering as much as the comfort on his hands. And so it was easy for him to go and, you know, whomever was managing their testing department and whatnot, you know, so everybody kind of gets going down a certain road. And, you know, that was bold, in my opinion, to go back to a conventional, you know, especially hindsight, because it only lasted two years or something. <laughs> they were back on an upside down, but, right. um, you know, whatever. Hats off to them because that's that's not easy to do in a, the, you know the world of product development and you know because suppliers and yeah, it's just that's that's not easy to switch back and forth like that. Certainly. Now, you're uh, before we get to uh, my next question for you. Um, you were were you not one of the the early adopters of the full face helmet or like the the chin bar helmet? I don't remember seeing a lot of photos of you <clears throat> in a in an open face. I, I was, cause I, right around then as I, um, started riding for Showy. Yeah. And so, you know, like Wardy still had the open face for a long time. And, you know, like the Arai guys had just that little, you know, four plastic screws holding on a little, you know, it wasn't much more than the old Malcolm Smith piece that we all bolted on. But yeah, yeah. I was. My I dad's got a always, fin fighter. Yeah. The I fin fighter was cool. Yeah, I always had one of those on my open face hel helmet, yeah. so I was always kind of in that direction. So mm -hmm. it was right around then when I signed with Showy that uh, they'd come out with their first legit full face helmet, and I was one of the first guys to race in it. And uh, yeah, so I, I yeah, I think it was, you know, when I started becoming a you know more photographed rider, like you say, you know, only <laughs> the 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 front guys get all the attention, and uh, yeah, I was already in the full face by then. I do happen to also love that uh, if if you look at Scott Goggles uh, lineup today, I think they have both of these goggle straps available as like throwbacks. But uh -huh. th this is brand new stuff, my friend. 
<laughs> I was just ahead of my time, you know. Yeah, you're a living throwback. I love it. That's right. And, Forty uh, years ahead. <laughs> yeah, the Acherbies on the uh the, the fork guards, the the first year of the fork guards, and uh, who who is in charge of doing the back fender the way you did? I, like that, the NGK spark plug sticker is about uh, as much a call. I mean, yeah, it's a you were a factory card. guy if you had you that NGK and the AFAM sprocket one next to it. It didn't matter what your bike looked like if you had those two stickers next to each other. Absolutely but not. Yeah. We, we never had all that full pre-printed stuff. So it was kind of up to the guys, but, and I'm not sure how they all arrived at what order and whatnot, but yeah, I, our bikes were some of the best looking bikes back then, in my opinion. You know, the Cowies got really cool when they were going, you know, right around in there, you know, yeah. late eighties, early nineties, just with, you know, Chicken and Wardy and those guys, more Chicken. But, uh, you know, they had the cool Fox gear and yeah, but you know, Bradshaw was had the same gear and, you know, so yeah, those, those were, as we see now with all these retro, you know, Yamaha did it and then Kawasaki followed suit almost immediately. And I'm sure it was already in the planning, but it's just cool to see both of those take that, you know, that chunk of time that, you know, early nineties look. Cause yeah, I think you can ask anybody that that was a very cool time vividly in in the sport absolutely optically i think it's sort of where motocross sort of like kind of hit its stride as far as just uh like the the cameras had gotten advanced to the point where they could actually take some really like good movement uh like like uh, a fast motion photo uh the colors the just the style of everything honestly like this yamaha for all for lack of like this is basically the same bodywork minus like some basically there's some different angles than the bodywork that you find on a modern two stroke. Like it's, it's rad yeah. shrouds, uh, like separate number plates, fenders and the whole nine yards. Like this is, this yeah. is basically what it is. Right. So that kind of the beginning of this, what's still somewhat the modern day. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I love it. Um, before we get to, uh, some, some photos of the YZM, uh, you won one supercross. Correct. I need that story right now. Right now. Right now. So it's always on uh, tap. I guarantee yeah. <laughs> you, you get asked that like probably more than anything yeah, else. You get asked that a fair amount. And fair you know, bit. it's, it's fine. Cause it was, uh, an amazing, you know, 24 hour period really. Yes, sir. You know, uh, I had been hurt at San Diego and like round three. So I missed. It's funny. Cause I was paying not too many people realize that I was a privateer that year. Yeah, I looked like a factory guy, but if you got the official Yamaha uh, press, uh, you know, folder with it was only Emig and Bradshaw, but I was on a full factory bike, driving a box van, all that. But it was they gave me a chunk of money, and I was it was my budget. Well, I sent Randy Lawrence, who was my mechanic then, back east. I'm like, this will only be a little bit. I'm going to get a scope, and I'm I'll be on my way. You know, ten weeks later, when it finally came back around, I was able to ride. And uh I rode Oklahoma. That was my first ride back. And I got 10th, pretty sure. Wardy won. That was his last Supercross win. Right. Uh, and then San Jose, the next week, I was just hungry. You know, I knew I wanted that factory ride back. And I had such good results, you know, in the early season. And it was just really like a, a pivotal point for me. And, and not that, you know, you can just turn it up automatically, but things just went well. I, had figured out the supercross or the the uh the whoop section leading up to the finish really well. 
And uh, just so many other little details throughout the day that I won't bore you with. But like going into the night, I was just confident. And it, it, a little side note, Keith McCarty, my team manager then, <laughs> he came into my box van. And he goes, if you can hit those whoops that good all night, you're going to make a lot of money. And it was just an interesting choice of words. Cause I was like on double contingency from O'Neill from Yamaha, you know, since I wasn't getting a salary, I had a lot of bonus money. And so did, did he say it like that? Or did he say, it, if you make, if you get through those whoops, you're going to make a lot of money. Or did he say- <laughs> That's exactly how it sounded. Yeah. I wasn't going to go into the Keith McCarty, you know, kind of kick the head sideways, but no, that's exactly how it sounded. Um, <clears throat> So it's funny. I crashed in my heat race, so I didn't even go straight to the main. Battled with Larry Brooks like it was, you know, for a million dollars in the semi. Armageddon. And uh, beat beat him in the semi. And then, you know, the main event, I didn't even get the whole shot. Man, I was the whole shot king there in Supercross for, gosh, you know, a few years. And so, yeah, I think I came around the first turn sixth, sixth or seventh and, so there's a few little milestones that night. One is, I, you know, because people, oh, two guys fell down. That's why you want, you know, all that has been said, but I don't care. Um, <clears throat> but I passed Stanton yeah. on the first lap and I led him for 20 laps. So that was a big, you know, six time for me, you know, feather six in time. Cap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> six time. But, uh, so I just remember kind of thinking that a lot through that race. I'm like, I just, I just want to beat Stanton. I just want to beat Stanton. And that was, you know, my little goal to pull me through. And, and it was funny. So I passed Larry Ward, Jeff Ward, uh, gosh, somebody else to get into third. And then I was putting a little time on Stanton and I could just see Chicken and Cooper just, just, and I kept thinking in my head. One of them's going to go down. There's no way because I was not far away um, when all that went down in Oklahoma the week before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I know, you know, Coop's not going for retaliation. He just wants to win a race. Yeah, because he hadn't you know, won one and, and wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, that guy yeah. got what was some crazy number of seconds, like 13 yeah. seconds or some outrageous number and never won, which is, I feel bad. I should give him mine. But uh so I'm thinking, okay, okay, this is great. This is great. You know, cause I've been on the podium before, but I've never had a second and I'm like, okay. So I'm just watching and watching and watching and, and going along. Um, I was hitting this one triple and I could see them in the bull turn, you know, after the triple, just spotting them lap after lap. And I kept standing far enough. He's not putting a wheel in. I'm like, okay, okay. You know, we're winding down. Something's got to happen. Something's got to happen. So then I come over the finish line to get the white flag. And I see yellow flags. I'm like, okay, there it was. And so I didn't know they were both down. So I went around and, you know, you, a couple more obstacles before I hit that same triple. And I hit that triple. And I'm like, oh, Where is shit. I'm like, I'm freaking leading this race. And it's a good thing I only had three quarters of a lap to go because I was pretty much, you know, crapping my pants. Because I'm like, oh, that was a little more than I was ready to deal with. You know, I, I would have and all happy getting second and all of a sudden i'm like and then <clears throat> like two straightaways later i knew stanton's engine i could just tell stanton and i also knew damon's engine so you know damon if you ever watch that race damon just runs stanton almost he did, wasn't able to go under the under damon had run him so far off the track well now i hear damon's engine and i'm like oh dear god <laughs> i got like two straightaways to go yeah. please 
And that was my worst time through those whoops leading up to the finish. Of course. <laughs> Only because I was freaking didn't take a breath from the time I went under the under for those next two straightaways. But yeah, I mean, what a great night. You know, it, it's funny that Damon, I think, was happier for me than I even, you know, because you're a little bit in shock. You're like, it right. doesn't really sink in for a day or two. And Damon's on the phone. You know, we go to Denny's and Damon's screaming. It's got to be, you know, three in the morning for, you know, Marsha and Randy, his parents back in North Carolina. And he's screaming in the phone, Doug, what? Doug, what? Yeah, he was like, so <laughs> those things are the things that stand out. Yeah, great. You won yeah. a race. And, you know, I was going to send you a picture of the podium. You know, it's a little friend shot it. It was, you know, we're all wet and champagne, but yeah, you know, I, didn't, I didn't. But um, the next one, <clears throat> we can do that one too. Yeah, there you go. But, you know, there's just so many little pieces. You know, my mom came, which she rarely came to, you know, many races. And so there's just mm. a lot of little neat parts to that night that, you know, what can you say? You know, it may have only been one, but it's still the record books show that, you know, not very many people have done that. So it was, uh, yeah, a great night for sure. Yeah. Like one of many who, like, they did actually get one. Like guys like uh... – Tim Ferry never won one. Uh, Guy yeah. Cooper never won one. Like there's yeah. a there's a long list of guys who came really close and didn't get one. And you can argue all to all day of like, oh, so and so crashed out, or this guy going down. Like, had Ricky Carmichael not thrown in the towel in 2007, we wouldn't be calling Grant Langston a 450 national championship, likely. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I mean, you, you but, can, he, yeah, but he did. So those... yeah, it's just the way it goes. Yeah, as they say, you got to be in it to win it. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's that's the way the cooking cookie crumbles. That's why we line up week after week, and it's the first guy to get to that flag. That's right. So you said you you off air. I think I don't know if we talked about it off air or if it was more I, when we were still talking about it. But uh, I guess we talked about it with you when we were talking about your son. There, uh, mm-hmm. you didn't you passed on the opportunity to ride this bike in your prime uh, when you were a competitive racer. Um, but it sounds like you've actually gotten a chance to ride this thing more than once. Tell me a little bit about the YZM. Uh, what's so special about this bike? Um, to me, it's, it's about as exotic as it gets for that time period. It's an absolute yeah. specimen. Well, and that's really the thing. That's what makes it so special. You know, now, and I'm not sure if we we're on the air or not, but we we're talking about, I went to a, a French international race. Jackie hmm. Vimon was there. And, you know, uh, knew him a little bit. I knew his mechanic better, Jim Castillo. You know, we're all blah, 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 buddying around. And after the race, his mechanic offered for me to ride it. And I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to be that guy. (laughs) And so I just, I thought to myself, yeah, you know, I'm a testing guy. I'll I'll ride it, which the opportunity never came because it was designated Europe only. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't even think they raced it in Japan. I think maybe one or two rounds, but. You know, there was really no 500 class competitive championship in Japan at that time. So it only got raced in Europe. So it was just, you know, talk about a piece of art. You know, there was no aluminum frames back then. There was no water-cooled 500 Yamaha engine back then, power valve. You know, it was just, it was pure exotic, you know, aluminum airbox. It was just like, yeah, I mean, it was amazing. And so... The way it all, just how I've been told is, well, since all this kind of dissolved, you know, they crushed or whatever, but they, they kind of ended up in various places. And this guy bought what he says is about one and a half 
So he's got a complete bike. I think he's got a frame and a motor, maybe no swing arm and no, you know, fuel tank or, you know, he's kind of missing. The second one's missing a bunch of stuff, but he paid an awful lot of money. Yeah. And you know, I'm surprised he lets it get raced. You know, he, the very first time, the time I, I told you my son, I forced him to go up and down the, the grass field once. Right. Like it, the race was more of a show. Mm-hmm. But they, they asked me if I wanted to race race. I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I did gate drop and I rode the crap out of that thing. I won the moto barely. I battled with some other guy on a Honda 500. But, you know, I couldn't believe that guy was let me do that. Since then, he's kind of pulled it back and we just do a show. You know, it's 15 okay. minutes. We go out with, you know, a handful, you, know, you name it. Mickey Diamond goes often, um, you know, Brad Lackey's been and, you know, uh, just the list goes on of European guys that are often there. And we just go out and kind of have a fun ride around, you know, kind of mix it up. But yeah, <clears throat> still, I'm more, I'm so nervous riding the thing. Like, I don't want to tip it over in a rut and rip a radiator off it or, oh my, yeah. you know, do something whiskey throttle and rip the subframe. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like it, almost nerve wracking getting on it and riding it. How is it to start this thing? Because that is not a long Kickstarter for a for a five hundred deuce. Truck. You know, it's not that bad. I, okay. I've got a, you know, I've got some, you know, sixty year old knees. So for me, I just mm. put a stand next to me. Mm-hmm. I think what most people do on any five hundred, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, you just go. You know, as long as you get it right, just get it right past compression, lift again, and kick through. It fires right up. So he usually started it. The guy that owns it. But, you know, I've had to do it down on the start line and stuff. So it's, it's not too bad. It's, uh, but yeah, it does look, I think it's just a 250 Kickstarter is what it is. Cause I yeah, don't think no, it can be much longer cause the pipe's right there. Exactly. No, it's not like the Kawasaki where the Kawasaki has such a, a unique pipe that sort of like snakes around that allows for a pretty, actually, it's almost like the, the, what would then become the, the four stroke style of a Kickstarter. Um, yeah. that is sort of long and, and and windy but uh this thing's super neat like like uh disc brakes front and back there's a bunch of aluminum uh like obviously the the aluminum air box but like even the aluminum cover frame for, guards and, yeah frame yeah. guards and stuff like that and yeah it's aluminum like, how does tank. it ride how does it I mean, ride well you know it's funny the very first time it, it, the jetting wasn't quite right. And, uh, Jean-Michel Bale's brother, Christian Bale was there. And it's actually the first time I really spent any time talking to him. And he was super helpful. He helped me jet it. What's that? The actor, Christian Bale. <laughs> Different guy. <laughs> Not quite. Not yeah. quite. Um, but he helped me. And by the end of the weekend, we got it running pretty good. And, you know, and then we had a rear brake, you know, failure here or there. I think on one of the other years. So it was slowly, but now. It runs pretty good. It's jetted pretty good. I think we got the right fork springs in it. So now it's, it's actually nice to ride. You know, unfortunately yeah. you could throw your leg over a, like a late nineties or mid nineties KX 500 and that's a better bike. <laughs> I hate to say yeah. it, but yeah, I, I actually have had the pleasure of riding bike. one of those. They're, they're so good. Like a buddy of mine yeah, has a 93, good. 93 KX and like it's smooth. It handles great. Like, obviously, it's a little heavier than your regular two-stroke, but those are good mm-hmm. bikes. Those things were, like, damn near cheating. Yeah. No, those things were great. I've raced those at that Farley Castle event a handful of times, and, man, I, I forgot how good they were. You know, I did some little magazine stuff way back in the day on those. But, man, you get someone that gets the suspension right and doesn't screw the motor up, 
and you know some guys will add a little weight to the crank and man the I rode a really good one a few years back at Farley Castle, and it was just a pleasure to ride. So now, like this engine, I think it's got potential, but yeah, you know, the way these things get put back together, you don't know, you know, did he get the compression right? Does he have mm. the right, you know, setting on the power valve? You just don't know because it lays down a little more than I'd like it to. Okay. You know, it just doesn't want to rev, but it's, you know, it's torquey, it's good, and, you know, it's just nice. You know, being a guy that's ridden the 490 and WR500 with the fins rattling. And I mean, it's just, it feels like a good bike, like a water cooled 500 should. So that's nice. But, uh, yeah, it's, unfortunately, they didn't get a lot of time to develop it. You know, yeah. It was, you know, one and done, really. I think they raced it two years and then they pulled the program because, you know, the Cowie or Cowie, the, uh, the 500 two stroke sales were sliding. And yeah, I mean, what, what was the last year? 94, 94. was the last year. Yeah. Uh, Mike LaRocco still, uh, the reigning 250 or four, 500 national champion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I reminded him that he came to Fox Hills is where kind of the, that big race has been relocated. And okay. LaRocco came this year. He, he did he? Him. That's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> it's good to get him out of the woodwork. He's, he's still the current. And reigning 500 natural champ. Yeah, as he should. He just rolled his eyes. He looked at me like, you know how many times I've heard that. Yeah, no kidding. That's, but, that's uh, uh, old. Yeah. No, it's that's... good. It's good to see Mike. You know, I mean, we had we were teammates there for a lot of years, and then I think he hated mm-hmm. me. Nice. You know, here or there, like he probably hated everyone. But uh, no, it was good to see him. Yeah. No, I don't know if there's anyone who's ever hated more people in motocross or around motocross more than Mike LaRocco. And that includes your other teammate there, uh, the Beast of the East. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think Damon gets a bit of a bad rap on that thing. I, I don't think he's literally, it wasn't anywhere near as sour as Mike. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Damon, he didn't know how to handle himself in, in a lot of situations. And that was his default. Mm. I'll just sit there with the grumpy look on my face and then people will leave me alone. It works. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> no better way to keep people away from you than look like you're going to punch them square in the throat. I would, I actually would, would uh, the first thing that just came to my mind is have you ever had a bad interaction with a fan? Not really. Is there like a you single know, time where like someone rubbed you wrong or like. Nah, uh, I was pretty. I mean, I was, early on, I understood that those are the guys that are effectively paying your salary. You know, they're uh-huh. they're writing the checks for the bikes and the helmet and the gear. Yeah. And so I was always pretty tolerant. But every once in a while, you just get some obnoxious guy that, you know, won't take no for an answer when he wants a jersey. And you're like, you just watched me hand my jersey to somebody else. Now you want another one? Yeah. You know, and it's like, uh, sorry, you try and be as nice as can be. And then he starts badgering you. And I would just walk away. But, uh, yeah, uh, there's some guys out there that are just, uh, yeah, they're uh, insufferable. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, this bike is pretty awesome. I think we're going to have to talk about it. It's, uh, it's somewhere down the line as well. There's got to be some more photos of this thing that we can take uh, a look at, different. too. So you notice that picture of me and, you know, my 59-and-a-half-year-old whip there? I see that. That's that's <laughs> the so same as my 35-year-old whip. I sent that to my son. And he answered back. I should have sent you that one as well. He was riding at Paris that day, not France, uh, Paris uh-huh. Raceway in California. I love that track. And he's got this photo of him just, I mean, I swear it was upside down. He had it so whipped. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. thanks. You can't let me like, just, you know. Like father, like son. 
Yeah, I'm like, I, that was a bit like my wife took that video and I just did a little screenshot of the video because that was about as far as I got it over. Mm-hmm. And, and he had his freaking upside down. I'm like, thanks. He just always wow. got to kick, kick me right in the teeth. No kidding. No, no, nothing like your kid <laughs> to make you feel a little bit more loved. Uh, last last <laughs> one I have for you, uh, and I, I, I told you we'd go over, uh, is uh, th- this RM... Dubok, love it. Scott goggles was B- was Bevo uh, hooking it up even back then or what? Be- Bevo didn't even know I existed then, but it oh, wasn't amazing. too long. It wasn't is, too this long. Is, is that a Bell Magnum or a yeah. Bell? Ma- yeah, my- yeah. <laughs> and of course, it looked like a you know like a salad bowl on my head because uh-huh. I don't know if I didn't get the right size or that's how they fit. But uh, yeah, that that was. Uh, you see all my sponsors. It's like nothing. Yeah. No, it's a, like, no, not even an NGK spark plug sticker. No, no, I couldn't afford those. <clears throat> but yeah, that was, I think I got that jersey from Mitch at Pro Circuit. If you look at the front, that was the old classic Pro Circuit jersey. Okay. But uh, yeah, it was CMC number five. Uh, that was the end of 83. So that was in 84 at Saddleback Park. And, uh, yeah, I was probably just racing some local race, trying to make 35 bucks and, uh, you know, living the dream. Yeah. But that's, that's Webco Hill. You know, anyone that knows Saddleback knows that okay. section of the track. And you see those, those levels in the back. Those uh-huh. were the famous big levels that we all jumped at the, at the 84 national, probably six or eight months later. No way. That is super cool. And so like you would have put on, this is, this is a 125. Uh, this, first yeah. of all, this is a good bike. This is a really yeah. good bike. And Especially you, when you had Paul Thede, you know, of yeah. modern day race tech, when of he, course. Yeah. you know, when he was back ST racing, Sands and Thede, not too many people remember him, but he had those because he, Gary Denton, which is a, a, a name from the past, was racing those bikes and Paul had them figured out. So yeah, that was a good running bike. No kidding. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. um, like, so how how old are you here? You're... So that is eighty three. So I'm almost twenty. So that, yeah, that's the end of eighty three. So I'm already twenty. Yeah, I'm twenty years wow. old there because I turned twenty one my rookie year, which was eighty four, where I rode all the whole nationals. I turned twenty one in Binghamton, New York, and uh, yeah, we we had a few beers that night. There you go. No no kidding. Yeah, well, so I was that, 20. <laughs> that is super cool, man. Like it's actually kind of crazy to think that I, I am right now 15 years older than you are in this photo. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And, and to think that at my, the first race I ever went to, you were, I was like nine or 10 and then you were there winning it. So, uh, it's kind of cool to see all these things kind of come full circle, man. Yeah. No, it's cool. I mean, these old photos are just. They're this great, you know, because it's it brings you back to not just that moment of that day, but that era, you know, kind of all the stuff you were doing, you know, what vehicle you had and where did you practice and who who was your rivals. And, yeah, so just that photo can spawn a million memories. Do you recall uh, the first time or do you recall like the sort of like the time in your life when you could officially say, I make a living from doing this? you know it was probably did you have a job that that number 16 you know those three photos you popped up yep so right then because that was 
<clears throat> my first year, 89, right, I had a Yamaha contract where I was getting a salary. Okay. I was getting all expenses paid. You know, I was making helmet money. I was making gear money. Even mm-hmm. I think uh, Bevo threw a couple dollars goggle money my way. So, <clears throat> you know, I think right around that time was when I finally, because, you know, you just – you, you just chase and you chase and you chase, you know, you're just grinding and grinding and grinding and trying to be better. Each, you know, you just, you, you, you don't really have this line in the sand that you finally crossed over. You just, you know, kind of arrive. And I remember being <clears throat> going to press day at Anaheim, you know, kind of our first race in 89 and I'm right there, you know, and, and I could go way off on a whole nother tangent of, you know, imposter syndrome and, not thinking you belong there because how did I get here? You know, I was just a schmuck. I looked up to all these guys, you know, and that was probably one of the things that limited me to whatever extent throughout my career is I always, you know, Oh, that's so-and-so he is. And then whatever you put in your brain, what he is that immediately (laughs) made it that, well, it's okay if he beats me and it's okay. You know, so it took me a long time reading a lot of, you know, professional athlete books and, you know, self-help books and just a lot of stuff to finally sort of break through that and, yeah, sit there at the gate going, hey, you know what, I I, I think I can win tonight, or, you know, I can, and you'd set, you know, better, more uh, lofty goals and not, you know, kind of sit there and, and count yourself into fifth before the gate ever dropped because you got Stanton on one side and you got Wardy on the other side, you got Bale two down and Bradshaw over there and freaking Kodrowski and <laughs> LaRocco, you know, it's like, it's pretty easy to kind of sell yourself back into whatever spot. So it took me a while to get, you know, I guess comfortable in my own skin at that moment in life. And uh, it's not easy. Some people do it very well. Others don't. So it, it was work for me to get comfortable in, in those environments. Yeah, certainly. I, I can certainly, uh, um, relate to that like i find myself like a lot of times like even talking to a guy like yourself like uh i'm just a bricklayer like in my own head i'm a bricklayer like i'm the son of a bricklayer i went to bricklaying school when i was 17 years old graduated when i was 20 uh i was a mid-pack b rider that just has a mind to remember these types of things like whether it be facts stats results whatever it happens to be uh because honestly there's one of the things I, i actually i hooked up a couple of kids locally with uh fox deals tonight um and the one of the moms thanked me so i was like yeah like I, I, when i was that kid's age i could only ever dream of having the results that would garner me a, a deal like that or or um so i guess like my ability to sort of get to where i'm at now is sort of it's like it's always a sobering thing when a guy like doug dubach will take my phone call like Doug, I, I put you guys, you up there with the rest of the the superstars of the sport, and it was a like it was a star I could never reach for, and that's yeah. what we're doing today. So um, yeah, well, it's no, pretty it's cool. great. But I mean, look, you know, you got to recognize some of the great things that you've been able to do, doors that have been open for you. Yeah. I don't know your history, I don't know anything, but just you know, to be walking, you know, up the hill at Urn A, yes, sir. You know, attend an event like that, and just you know soak all that in that's pretty special i mean i know there was a you know roughly over a hundred thousand over the three days that did the same thing but you know not in the same capacity you know we're all standing in the you know on the other side of the hill 
Yeah, and just, you know, uh, just the, that experience was great. I went in 2015. I took my okay. son who was, gosh, what would he have been there, you know, 12 years old or something. Yeah. I, I did some other event, and we just said, hey, let's stay and go. Uh, might have been on the YZM 500 for all I know. but I, uh, think, I think that does you know, line up. Um, <clears throat> but it was just such a cool day back then. You know, we were full spectators, you know, just, yeah. you know, got chainsaws blasting your drums out for two days straight. But uh, it was neat to be there again and just to see, you know, what this sport means to, you know, the the racing public. And it's it's neat. It's it, I was quite an event to attend. Certainly, you know, like uh, more cross nations has always been a really special one to me. The first one I went to uh, I was able to be at was last year. Uh, and then as soon as I found out it was in RNA, I'm like, I got to go to that race. And like, with my connection through verb moto uh they make getting a a, a press credential very simple like like basically when you're when you're rolling with verb uh, it's just a, it's just an application and they they give you the green light uh but yeah there's more than a few times where i kind of took a moment just to sort of like i'm one of maybe i think there was like a hundred of us that like were allowed to be on the inside of the track uh filming and taking photos and uh yeah i got i got to be one of those people so uh, I might yeah, still, I no, might just great. be a bricklayer, but, uh, uh, I get to do some cool things sometimes. Yep. See, that's, that's, that's a, you know, <clears throat> I never had any divine plan when I was a kid, but I stumbled, fumbled and worked my tail off to, you know, be able to do a lot of cool stuff. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the motorcycles have treated me pretty well. No doubt, man. Well, um, we're definitely going to have to do a part two, three, and possibly four down the road. Uh, I was right. We took, we did, and like, I don't know how this will end up edited down, but it'll be about an hour and a half. Uh, that was intended to be about 35 minutes. Uh, <laughs> close but, enough. Yeah, close enough. I think that's about as close as we were going to get. Um, but, uh, but Doug, this was so much fun. I really appreciate you making the time for the show. I hope that you'll, you'll want to do it again sometime. And, uh, yeah, this was great. Nope. Yeah. Just hit me up and I'll try and dig around and find some of those photos that I, couldn't seem to find when I was looking a few days ago. So yeah, we'll get back together and we'll, uh, we'll have another good night. Awesome, man. Well, uh, don't hang up just yet on the podcast, but for right now we'll, uh, we'll cut things off. Okay, perfect. And the stories could just keep going and going and going with a guy like Doug Dubok. And this is exactly why I wanted to do this series moto album on verb moto, because when you give the visual aids to these older racers, it pulls out, so many different stories. It allows me to ask questions that I wouldn't otherwise be able to ask just in terms of um, like, obviously I wasn't old enough to have really watched the majority of Doug's career, but this op- op- opportunity gives us the opportunity to be, to be on like sort of an even footing um, to be able to talk about some of these things and just pull out some of those stories that otherwise wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be out there and available. So I hope you guys are enjoying these looking to do some more of these with some retired racers, as well as some current guys who've been at it for quite some time. Uh, definitely going to do one with uh, Daniel Blair. Um, and Hey, you could even do one of these with a guy like Justin Barsha. The guy turned pro in 2009, if I'm not mistaken, and, or maybe it could have been 2008 and, uh, during the outdoors, but like, just the things that he's seen, the bikes he's ridden over the years, it is pretty wild to see. So hopefully you guys are enjoying these podcasts. Uh, if you are, please like, subscribe, uh, find us on social media at Verb Moto, pretty much damn near everywhere, including TikTok. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch you on the next one.